Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. I watched the George Floyd documentary that Candace Owens put up. Gay continues his tour of controversy. His comments on Drink Champs lit up social media. We break down Ye's fiction with our facts. A lot of people want to call me crazy. Then... Los Angeles City Council backlash. The leaked audio and racist remarks causing an uproar as one council person has resigned and protesters are demanding others to do the same. Plus... Bow Wow talks life after happily ever after. And why did he sing? Gotta move on. And why he's causing a brouhaha in the boogie down as he heads back to school. It's really an accomplishment to be able to go and open up a school. And fresh off the heels of the Revolt Summit, the future is now how black women are shaping the world. She is the catalyst and CEO of home, of culture, and of community. All of that tonight as the Black News Revolution starts right now. everyone, I'm guest host Rochelle Ritchie. We kick things off with the fallout of Kanye's Drink Champs conversation, which has now been pulled. It is all the buzz across the culture. Ye made multiple accusations, including blaming George Floyd's death on drug use. That's Ye's fiction. Here are our facts. Number one, George Floyd was murdered. His death was ruled a homicide by the medical examiner. Number two, the medical examiner says restraining and neck compressions caused Floyd's lungs and heart to shut down. Number three, the officers on the scene violated their training by not helping to save his life. And number four, Derek Chauvin, the officer that kneeled on George Floyd's neck for more than nine and a half minutes, was charged and convicted and sentenced to more than 20 years. Those are the facts, but that's just the beginning of us checking yay, and it's tonight's top story. Last time he came here, he said, cancel me. They did not cancel. They could not cancel. Yay, not canceled? Well, that's according to him, but definitely on the brink. You hear about slavery for 400 years? For 400 years? That sounds like a choice. Make some noise! On Revolt's Drink Chance, Ye focused on his most recent controversy. My baby mama white, she white, and her life matter. 
Just days before, Kanye was in the headlines for attending the premiere of controversial conservative Candace Owens' new documentary, which calls into question the death of George Floyd. I watched the George Floyd documentary that Candace Owens put up. One of the things that his two roommates said was, they want a tall guy like me. They want a tall guy like me. And the day when he died, he said a prayer for, you know, eight minutes. For more than nine minutes, former police officer Derek Chauvin held his knee on George Floyd's neck. But during the interview, Kanye made it clear he doesn't see it that way. They hit him with the fentanyl. If you look, the, the guy's knee wasn't even on his neck. An autopsy conducted on George Floyd determined that he did in fact die due to law enforcement's subdual restraint and neck compressions. I can't breathe. Please, the knee in my neck. And more controversial statements from the rapper formerly known as Kanye West could potentially find him embroiled in a legal battle with the family of George Floyd. According to civil rights attorney Lee Merritt, the Floyd family is determined to hold Ye accountable for his comments, which includes serving the rapper with a cease and desist. If Ye continues to make these kind of comments after receiving a cease and desist letter, it strengthens the potential legal claims against him in the future. Roxy Washington, the mother of George Floyd's daughter, plans to file a $250 million lawsuit against Ye for harassment, misappropriation, defamation, and infliction of emotional distress. I have an indirect uh, uh, communication with the Floyd family, and I knew that his daughter was really uh, shaken and struck by those comments. However, offending the Floyd family and the black community as a whole didn't seem to be a concern of Ye while on the show. For nearly three hours, Ye spoke candidly and without regard and no care for the consequences. So now, joining me for more on this are Whitley Yates and Teslin Figaro. You know, this was really a difficult week for a lot of people to hear the remarks from Kanye. And Whitley, I want to start with you. What impact does this have on current police brutality cases moving forward? I'm going to be honest. I, I need to first give credit to Drink Champs for hosting the conversation and allowing the culture to have a conduit to not only hear that voice, but so yay and other people don't run to conservative pundits to let those things out. I don't think that his remarks are going to have much of a, an effect on any police brutality cases because I don't believe that the people in the positions of power who are looking at changing the laws and policies around this are listening to Kanye West. Tez, your response? Yeah, I completely disagree. Uh, as someone who worked with the George Floyd family for the last year and actually worked on policy, over 100 cities have changed uh, police reform by some measure on the local and state level uh, over uh, since the murder of George Floyd. And they absolutely lean into voices they deem uh, as uh, voices of the culture. And being someone that has been on Fox News for over six or seven years, I know how those pundit conversations, how those what seems to be just chiming in can create an entire dialogue that can actually change laws. And I'll give you a real-time example so that we're not making it up. One of the times that I was on Fox News, uh, one of the hosts actually asked me to come do a show, particularly on reparations. And because I was a pundit that appeared often, we created an entire show around that conversation, and I was able to use uh, influence on that show to help pass the First Step Act. So to 
uh, act as if he is just, you know, someone with an opinion or someone that does not have influence, uh, particularly on the conservative side of the aisle, is just simply not true. Uh, he has ran for office. He will continue to run for office. He has raised millions of dollars mm -hmm. to have influence, which in turn influences lobbies, which in turn uh, influence decisions. So this was very dangerous rhetoric to go against what the court of law said, which was uh, finding Derek Chauvin guilty. So, no, they listened to him, and we can uh, pretend as if they don't, but they do. Right. Not to say it would make an impact, but it certainly was damaging uh, to the movement work that we're trying to move forward on. So, Willie, let me bring you back into the conversation, because obviously this sort of started with uh, Kanye wearing the White Lives Matter shirt. Um, in which you did, you know, you tweeted about that, saying that basically people shouldn't be outraged and that's an emotional collectivism. Has your opinions changed on that now that you've seen it go from white lives matter to uh, questioning the death of George Floyd? No, it hasn't changed, actually. I honestly think that yay is yay. And as Maya Angelou would say, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. He's not someone that's going to be controlled, and he's going to always have his own thoughts and opinions and voice them in whatever way that he feels most proud of. And to be honest, this is exactly what freedom of speech is, right? There is freedom of speech, but you're not free of the consequences of those speech, though. Correct. As long as it's not infringing on other people's rights and responsibilities. And that's not for us to decide. It's for the courts to decide. And see, the thing is, though, Whitley, and I appreciate what you're saying, and I get this again, I am a veteran. So the freedom of speech and the Patriot talk, you know, kind of, for me, I get that. But it does infringe on people's rights. Uh, right now, there is possibly a defamation suit uh, that could certainly go against Kanye for doing damage uh, to the name of George Floyd. The courts did decide that this man was guilty of murder. And so when someone's just rambling off uh, misinformation and it's and, and millions of people are hearing that, particularly people on the right side of the aisle that wanted to characterize George Floyd as a dope head. This is just, you know, w what it is. And so when that's infringing on the rights of his estate, when it's infringing on his child, when it's infringing on this family, that is when it becomes a, a dangerous conversation. And so we can't just say, oh, no one's listening to him. Because if that's the case, we wouldn't be doing this, this segment right now. Somebody is listening. It is having an effect uh, on how people are moving through this conversation. It was strategic. It was planned out. So, Tez, let me, let me allow Whitley to go ahead and finish. Go ahead, Whitley. Yeah, because I never questioned his ability to influence people. I said, I don't believe that he's influencing policy, specifically police brutality policy. And we have seen defamation cases most recently with Alex Jones getting a lawsuit against him for some millions and millions of dollars. And so, yes, we have seen that. Do I think that this is to that degree? Absolutely not. And when you're looking at actions versus execution, Kanye West has supported George Floyd's family in having a 529 account for his daughter. So I think that what we need to do here is allow people the freedom to express themselves as long as it isn't infringing. And it's not for us to decide if it's infringing. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's for the law and the legal system to decide that. But, but the truth the is, whether we like his opinion or his ideas, he's free to have them. He's free to have those, Whitley, right? But the truth is the truth. The facts are the facts. It's laid out in plain black and white. So to ignore that does a disservice. It doesn't matter if he has set up anything, any kind of fun uh, for his daughter when he turns around and says that, you know, her father died because he had fitanol in his system, and that is not the truth. Taz, go ahead.
we got to move past having being free to speech. We we got that. Let's let's move past that. Let's get into the nuance of the consequences of people's actions when they say certain things. And so to keep saying it's for the law to decide, the law decided that Derek Chauvin was guilty of a crime, period. Kanye decided to get up and say that that was not the case based upon a documentary that was extremely biased to push a conservative talking point that was immediately pushed out when George Floyd was murdered period. And so he can be free to speak all he wants, but we also have to be free to correct correct the information and the misinformation. So nobody's challenging should he have said it, not said it. We got that, but we got to be mature enough to move past that and say, what are the consequences for that? And so if we're going to say, well, the law will make the decision. The law made the decision that Derek Chauvin was guilty. You know, people feel that scholars, uh, politicians have failed black people, and now we tend to see that we look towards celebrities to be that voice. Should we put that much credence on what an entertainment has to say? There is a role with celebrities being involved in the process, but this also shows that that role can also be very dangerous. Uh, and those of us on the ground, we don't have the platforms, unfortunately, that Kanye has, so it makes us have to work even harder, and that's why Revolt News is so important. All right, Willie, final word. I would absolutely agree that Politicians have definitely failed us. When it comes to people's roles in the movement, everyone will move differently and everyone will have a different role. The truth is, though, that the community is what should be protected at all times, specifically the Black community. And at times like this, where we feel like people are not advocating for the Black community, it is our response um, and reaction to do something about it. But the truth of the matter is everyone has a role and they may not be lock in step with us. They may be strong and wrong, and we do have the right to hold them accountable for the things that they say. All right, Whitley, Tess, thank you so much for joining us here for this uh, very, you know, important conversation. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tonight, we are continuing our conversation about the fallout of the Los Angeles City Council scandal after the resignation of one of its members because of their racist remarks. It was all revealed in leaked audio. Now two other members are in the hot seat with protesters demanding for them to resign as well. But should there be a harsher punishment? That was the voice of Nuri Martinez, the former president of the Los Angeles City Council and the first Latina to hold that position. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah. Martinez was caught on a secret recording with fellow council members Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon, who were meeting with Los Angeles County Federation of Labor President Ron Herrera about redistricting. Redistricting has been a hot topic, especially when race is involved. I get what we have to do, right? This massage to create districts that benefit you all. In the recorded audio, we hear the group strategizing. They even pointed out certain colleagues like Nathia Ramon. It serves us to not give her all of K-Town because if you do, that solidifies her rent first district and that is not a good thing for any of us. She is not going to help us for district is but it was Mike Bonin who received the brunt of the attacks. Mike Bonin won't ever say people are Latino. He'll never say And it became even more personal for Bonin when the attacks were directed at his son. This white guy with a little black kid who's misbehaved 
The kid is bouncing off the effing wall on the floor, practically tipping it over. There's nothing you can do to control him. Parece changuito. Remember, even I'm like a little white kid, which I was like, this kid is a beatdown. Like, let me, let me take him around the corner and then I'll bring him back. My husband and I are both uh, raw and angry and heartbroken and sick for our family and for Los Angeles. We've heard an hour of some of the most hateful things the city has ever heard from three, four people in some of the most powerful positions in Los Angeles. Public officials are supposed to call us to our highest selves. And these people stabbed us and shot us and, and cut the spirit of Los Angeles. People are hurt. And I'm a, I am a black adopted child, right? So I feel for your son. And in this moment, I'm so glad he gets to see you fighting. But over the past two days, I've heard about a lot more than, 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 than me and my family. I've heard about attacks on the Oaxacano community. Uh, I've heard the homophobic tropes. Uh, I've heard anti-Semitic remarks. Uh, I've heard... Uh, uh, in, in incredible coordinated efforts to disenfranchise blacks. Brown political power can be rooted in black erasure, in anti-indigenous speech, in homophobic speech. We deserve better. The people have called for these resignations. Here to discuss more on the developments of the Los Angeles City scandal are political strategist Jasmine Canick and California State Assembly member Isaac G. Brianel. Jasmine, I want to start with you. There are protesters right now camping out near L.A. Councilman Kevin DeLeon's home to call for his resignation. Why do you think it's so important for him to resign? It's important for him to resign because what happens in this moment is going to set the tone, I think, for blacks in the city of Los Angeles going forward. If Kevin DeLeon nor his colleague Gil Cedillo step down, what it says to other people is that it's open season on Black folks and you can say whatever you want as a public elected official and keep your seat. And yeah, folks are going to be angry and scream for about a week, but you'll be fine. And so I think in this moment, people need to pick a side. You either stand with racists or you don't. It's just that simple. Now, Isaac, you delivered a pretty emotional speech uh, on the podium. What are your thoughts when you see the fact that Kevin DeLeon is deploying his own group of people to intimidate Black Lives Matter protesters that are also demanding his resignation? Yeah, the, the recent updates that I heard is that that same group actually started to build some solidarity with the Black Lives Matter folks outside the house. Uh, I think this is a unifying moment for the city of Los Angeles. It's a time for us to collectively condemn hate and anti-Blackness and for a future together. You know, one of the things that I, I definitely want to ask both of you, because it's been a year that somebody has known that this was said and it didn't come out. Now it comes out a year later when there's, you know, a lot of elections happening, things like that. Do you think there's some political motivation behind this leak? Jasmine. I mean, I'm sure that there is, but at the end of the day, none of us know when the, the person who leaked it got the audio. Just because it was recorded last year does not mean they've held on to it for an entire year. They could have just been given it or just found it recently and exposed it. I think, for me, the bigger issue is thanking the person who leaked the audio. And as I've said before on social media, I would be the first to contribute to their legal defense fund should anything happen to them. Uh, Isaac, let me get your, your take on that. Do you think this is politically motivated? I, I think somebody is definitely disgruntled. Uh, who and why, I'm not sure. But I don't think the timing is as political as folks think. This is the language, hate, and rhetoric that, if it had dropped at any time, was going to shock our conscience 
and call for accountability. And so I, I don't think the timing with the election is all that relevant because the main actors on the tape, the elected officials, none of them are on the ballot right now, except Gil Cedillo, who already lost uh, in the in the election back in the summer. And so uh, I think whoever heard this felt the way most of us feel and felt that our leaders were talking in this way, this divisive, hateful way, this anti-Black way. Uh, and, and I think that is political in and of itself, but I don't think it was designed to have some sort of outcome this November. Wasn't there something going on as far as the council discussing uh, districting lines and that was sort of the, the, in, the infighting that was happening? Yes. I mean, the whole purpose of their meeting was to discuss redistricting and for those who listen to the audio, how to keep the three council members who are participating in the conversation in office. Um, redistricting is already um, a very uh, emotional and serious issue um, for, for most communities. I think that what this scandal has done is shown is that we at, at the city level need an independent redistricting um, committee versus having it in the hands of council members. Uh, at other levels of government, that is how it's done. And now there are talks to make sure that it's done that way on the local level as well to ensure we don't have folks redrawing lines that benefit, uh, that benefit them or one group of people. Exactly. Isaac, you know, I want to ask you something. A lot of times the assumption is, is that one group that is underrepresented cannot be biased towards another. What does this say? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. About the people of color politics. I think there's definitely solidarity uh, and people of color movement. And I think we're gonna continue to keep that momentum going. Anyone can be anti-black, but for black people in this country, uh, the weight of our civic institutions, uh, the weight of the foundation that we built has always been used against us. It, it doesn't really matter who is in power. Um, the, the basic premise of those foundations was not built with our consent. And so this was an example of anti-blackness with Latino leaders and the way we fight it uh, is as is by staying together, but also bringing in the entire coalition of people of color uh, and white folks too. This is a solidarity and ally moment. This is where people step up uh, and do what they say. And Jasmine, I want to wrap up this conversation with you. Uh, do you think more needs to happen besides a resignation? What do you think some other consequences should be? Well, look, what you don't want to do is replace um, them with people who share their same um, attitudes, right, and ideologies, particularly as it relates to Black people. So I think it's going to be incumbent upon people in their districts to really pay attention um, to who steps in to try to replace them and to make sure that we don't find ourselves electing people who are just like the people that we're getting rid of. I think in this moment, we have an opportunity to, like Isaac said, to show solidarity, to show that we work together. Um, we're not, go black folks aren't going anywhere. I mean, there are those of us like myself, you will have to pry this city out my dead hands, cold dead hands, I'm not leaving. We are going to be here. We all have to learn how to coexist. And I just will chime in on what Isaac said. There are black people who can be anti-black too, right, Isaac? Um, and just for the record, you know, George Floyd was murdered. Absolutely. Well, Jasmine and Isaac, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for joining us.
Welcome back, everyone. Now time for the latest entertainment headlines for my girl Kennedy is here with what's popping off in the remix. Yes, Rochelle, we are kicking things off with Bow Wow's Dating World back in prime time, and that's what's topping off the remix. Welcome to a unique dating experience unlike any other. Well, let's talk about this new show, After Happily Ever After. That's such a dope name. Tell us about the show and like why you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, I wanted to be a part of it because it was different. We've seen a million dating shows come and go, same format. They're very predictable. With this, it's not predictable. Black Girl Stuff's Brie Renee and Tori Bricks getting the lowdown on Bow Wow's new gig, BET's new Wednesday night reality series, After Happily Ever After. Are you afraid? No, we're here. You should be. The show's twisty premise puts the host right in the thick of some serious dating drama. Can your ex help you meet your next love? Imagine being in a house with your ex, and your ex has to find your next true love. Would you allow your ex to put you on a date? Ooh, any of them. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah? You wouldn't trust their ability to know what you need? Nah. Nah, hell nah. <laughs> nah. It might go down as Diddy's biggest surprise to date. Our chairman shocking students at Capitol Prep in the Bronx. Yeah. Oh, you hear that thing? I want to go back to my community and I want to do good. Um, but to be able to achieve that, it, it, it's really an accomplishment. You're the kings, you're the queens, you're the leaders. Diddy donated a million dollars to help the thriving charter school become a reality in 2020, in the same community where it all started for the three-time Grammy winner. To be able to go and open up a school in Connecticut, in Harlem, in the Bronx, this is like, you know, one of my proudest moments. Being from these neighborhoods, I could relate to what they're having to deal with right now. When you see somebody that looks like you and know came from your zip code, it, it's motivating and it's inspiring. There's no dream that they can't achieve. Come on! And we've been waiting for this moment all our lives. Move on. Let's go. And dreams come true for this lit cheer squad showing off their slick routine to the Hitmaker's new Queens remix of Gotta Move On. Gotta Move On was just really about like one of my past relationships, but it was from the male perspective. So we had to give the female perspective. So we have the Queens remix with Young Miami from the City Girls and Ashanti, and it's over a million views on YouTube in 48 hours. It's going crazy, so it feels good to be back in music. And we expect he'll also be back surprising students again and again. I think I'm gonna take it to the West Coast and take it to Atlanta after this, and take it to London, Paris, Africa, and we won't stop, because we can't stop. Y'all have a good day. Bye-bye, love. more difficult women in Hollywood. I'm going to say that. Difficult to me means bold. It means audacious. It means ambitious. 
Elle magazine honoring Issa Rae, Zoe Kravitz, and Ariana DeBose. The ladies among those saluted at the 29th annual Elle Women in Hollywood celebration for their positive contributions to the arts. There's no job that a, that a woman can't do. Quite frankly, when we when we're in the rooms, we get done. Events like this are so important because it shows creation and content through our eyes, our lens, and our experience. Creatives Unite! The Revolt Xfinity Short and Fresh Film Festival hosted by B. Simone brought the talented minds behind film, TV, and beyond to Atlanta, sharing their expertise with the next generation of creators. Information, inspiration, and motivation. And all three of them are important. And sometimes that inspiration can lead to you changing your life. Now to our roundup of legal headlines that the culture is following. It's time for Who's in the System? Our legal docket takes us to Kansas City where a bombshell investigation has led to Kansas City police taking down an alleged serial killer whose target was black women. This comes on the heels of the department, which is currently under fire for reportedly silencing or ignoring warnings about cases of local black women who have gone missing. I am a little upset right now. The reason I'm upset is because we got four young ladies that have been murdered within the last week uh, here off of 85th and Prospect. We got a serial killer again, and ain't nobody saying nothing. The media is not covering it. 39-year-old Timothy Hazlitt Jr. has been charged with kidnapping, rape, and assault. An unidentified 22-year-old female victim was the key to police catching and detaining the suspect after she escaped from Hazlitt's home. Witnesses say she had a metal dog collar around her neck, and investigators found evidence that she had also been handcuffed around her hands and feet. And the duct tape around her neck and the collar. Uh, and she was it was restricted. It was a metal collar. It looked like a shot caller, a homemade one at that. I seen the, her wrists were pretty messed up and her ankles. Now there are calls to hold the Kansas City Police Department accountable after claims they ignored reports of missing black women. We'll stay on top of that headline as things develop. Stay with us for more Revolt Black News Weekly when we return. Welcome back. We are still basking in the success of the Revolt Summit, where the theme was the future is now. Now, right after that amazing weekend, I sat down with Caroline Wonga, the CEO of Essence Magazine, for an inspiring conversation about the future of black women and how to approach closing the wage gap. Tell me what you think the future is for black women. I think that the future for black women is centered in the repositioning of who black women actually are, right? I think there has been an unregulated narrative related to black women that has allowed them to be discussed as a case for charity, as a place of deficit, as overwhelmed and needing help all the time, right? And I'm not saying there aren't periods and factors that play into that as humans, but I, would, I do believe really strongly, and this is what I talked about on the stage at the Revolt Summit was, more specifically, it's about understanding that she is the catalyst and CEO of home, of culture, and of community. Not of black home, black culture, and black community, but of home, culture, and community. What does that mean? If you transition to thinking about her as that powerful, that dominant, that intelligent, having that much influence, what you have the opportunity to do is to understand how engagement with her changes the future for all. 
And so if we go forward in the future, understanding the black woman as CEO of home, culture, and community, and that where her head turns, as does home, as does community, as does culture, helps you understand why her full engagement in all of the... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Places of money, power, politics starts to change society in which we all thrive, not just black folks. Do you think that black women have evolved? I mean, when we when you talk about this, I see I hear exactly what you're saying. That yeah. we're we're almost in a sense being used to uplift other people, but yeah. people aren't really uplifting us with, you know, sincerity. How do you think the role of black women can evolve when people are not being genuine in supporting us? I think the idea that we are being used, right, and how we need to evolve needs to shift the other way. Yes, there are people who have taken advantage of us, but the work to change how we are seen is not ours. And that is the flaw in the logic. We don't need to evolve into what we already are. The work needs to be changing the narrative that others are engaging with us on. We don't need to carry that we need to evolve. They need to evolve their thinking. Changing the narrative of what other people see, yeah. you know, with us also yeah. includes, like, the wage gap. Yes. If people are not paying us what we are owed, <laughs> yes. then how are they really going to yeah. assist in us evolving Absolutely. into being able to be full providers for our homes yeah. on an equal basis? Yes. What are your thoughts on that? The black woman's issue as it relates to wage sits at the intersection of race and gender, which makes it a double-edged sword of sorts, right? Here's some of the stats, and, and Essence and Lean In just released a joint report, go to essence.com or leanin.org to say it, that focused on black women's equal pay day. And what's the data we need to share there? So a couple of things that are really critical to know. We make 42% less than white men, 21% less than white women, right? So even when we get into the girl circles at work and we doing girl power, we ain't getting the same power that the white woman is, right? Here's what's even more interesting. You would think that as people stay in the workplace longer or are earning income longer, that you would see that gap close. It actually gets worse. Because if you start at a wage that is already that far apart, no matter how much more you earn, you continue to grow the gap. So here's an interesting fact, right? Between like 16 and 24 years old, right, that gap is at about 19%. By the time you get to 55 years old, that gap is 39%. And that tends to be when you're at the crest of a moment in your career, yet that is when your gap gets the biggest. It doesn't change because of college. Over a lifetime, it can add up to almost a million dollars and lost earnings because of where that gap sits. And so even though we ask for promotions and we do all of this work if we work somewhere, for every 100 men that get a promotion, only 58 black women get it too. Do not settle for the basic wage. Do not settle for just what they're willing to accept because you will spend the rest of your career trying to make up for it and it'll actually get bigger. How important is it for black women, whether they are that Gen Z, the millennial, or an older generation, to have that same sort of mentality when it comes to ensuring that they are paid what, what they are owed? So I think there's a couple of ways to look at that. I think the first of that that is most important is that the black women tend to be breadwinners. 
And I don't mean breadwinners just because of what's happening in the household. I just mean from an overall earnings perspective, you look at their statistics on college and other things, they tend to be the breadwinners. So why is it important for the younger generation to take that seriously and change the narrative? Because if we are going to continue to play a big role in being the breadwinners, then the overall black generational wealth story will not change until the black woman starts to demand things. And the reality is this, and people don't like to talk about this, our generation of black women is living in an age where there's a lot that we're dealing with. What we're not dealing with is what a lot of black women before us dealt with that got resolved, that gave us the ability to be where we are. Right. There is an obligation, and I need it to be understood this way because it's not optional. There is an obligation to pick up the baton that was handed off to you and leave it further ahead. If you don't make a concerted effort to feel obligated to do that, then the generation coming after you benefited nothing from your existence, yet you benefited from who came before you. The reason I want you to fight for the highest wage, whether you're starting your career as a cashier or you're moving into your first job as a financial analyst or you are opening your business and getting bids from venture capitalists, I need you to fight for the top dollar, not the middle dollar, because the highest dollar you get at that starting stage will be the floor for everything else that you've got to do. And we are fighting enough glass ceilings, broken ladders, and sticky floors. We gotta leave this world better than we got it from those who came before us in order for the black generational story and the black generational wealth story to be different. This is not about what's good for you, boo. This is about what's good for all of us. That's powerful. And you know, when you think about the fact that you know, stats out there are now now saying that it's going to take 200 years 200 for us years. to even close the wage gap. And yeah. that's why you have to be seven generations ahead. All right, Caroline, the Wanga woman. Thank, thank you for you chatting love. with us on Revolt Thanks. Black News Weekly. All right, let's move on to the headlines beyond our borders, including Haiti's calls for help against rampant gang violence. It's time to go black all over the world. First stomp Haiti. As police continue to fight gang violence, they are getting some assistance from both the U.S. and Canada, who have sent armored vehicles and other supplies to the island nation. The equipment arrived more than a month after one of Haiti's most powerful gangs took over a fuel terminal and demanded the resignation of Prime Minister Ariel Henry. Since then, gas stations have shut down, hospitals have cut back on services, and banks and grocery stores are open on a limited basis as fuel, water, and other supplies dwindle across Haiti. As a citizen of Haiti, I don't know that, like, I don't see a government that's serving me. I don't really see any communication or any plans that are coming together. But we are technically between this year and next year supposed to have another election. Next up, Russia. Eight months and counting as Brittany Griner releases a statement on her 32nd birthday from a Russian jail. Brittany Griner's birthday is today. She's 32 years old. We want to continue to let her name be known. We hope that she comes home soon. Concerns about her prison conditions are on the rise as the U.S. Embassy has had no communication with BG since her sentencing. When asked if he had any plans to discuss Griner's release with Russian President Vladimir Putin, President Joe Biden appeared uncertain. I have no intention of meeting with him, but uh, for example, if he came to me at the G20 and said, I want to talk about the release of Griner, I'd meet with him. But in the meantime, we await her appeals trial. 
Getting Brittany home, getting uh, Paul Whelan home is a priority for this administration. Uh, they are wrongfully detained and they should be home today. Next up, Jamaica and the dance hall disc that's rocking the island nation. The Jamaican Broadcasting Commission is cracking down on media deemed too violent for television and radio. On Tuesday, a ban went into effect to halt broadcasts and music that glorifies criminal activity, drug use, scamming, and weapons. Of course, musicians and fans alike are clapping back. You cannot tell an artist, don't sing this and don't say that, that's a stupidness. Jamaican musician Romish is among the creatives speaking out in a blog reacting to the ban. And last stop, Paris. Fans experienced the sudden and shocking death of Haitian singer Mika Ben, leaving many mourning as support for Zen. In his last performance with the Haitian group Karimi, the 41-year-old artist collapsed, suffering a heart attack. Gone too soon, Mika Ben leaves behind his pregnant wife and kids. Welcome back. We leave you with the inspiring story of Ricardo Dale, who overcame the odds of abuse and a hard life to turn things around on his remarkable journey. Now he's paying it forward and taking the next generation along for the ride. His motivation and success rate at helping others is what makes Ricardo our revolutionary of the week. Welcome to Atlanta, obviously via New Jersey. So I'm really excited to talk to you because you're doing a lot of great work in South Jersey. So I want you to tell us about first your mentoring program for at-risk youth. I think it's called Free All Minds, yes. correct? Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Uh, my mentoring program, uh, Free All Minds, it's a leadership academy for young boys of color between 13 and 18 years old. And what we do is expose them to different opportunities after leaving high school, preparing them for either college or a trade school, and really trying to help them find what it is that they're passionate about. So we're not just telling them, you know, do the right thing and go to school because I told you to, but do the right thing and go to school because it can lead you to what you ultimately want. How important are programs like this? Because we always hear these stories about our youth, you know, they're in trouble, violence, all those kind of things, not having anything to do. How important is it for city leaders like yourself to establish programs to help these teens? I think it's extremely important. I think it's... Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Uh, can make an extreme shift to our country as a whole. Um, when you look at you know, youth of color, specifically black um, boys of color, they're um, incarcerated five times the rate of their white counterparts. And a lot of the students that I work with 
are unfortunately they're one second away from you know going down that wrong path and it only takes one person to come into their life and show them something different for their life to be completely different and go another direction. You're helping to make a really positive impact when it comes to the college acceptance rate. Tell us those numbers. What have you seen as far as the, the young men that you are seeing go to college? How are those percentages changing? So right now, through our um, Leadership Academy, we have a 100% acceptance rate in the college for all boys, 100% um, uh, graduation rate from high school in the city of Camden for the kids that we work with. And that's 35% over the city of Camden's um, graduation rate. Only 65% of um, boys in the city of Camden are graduating from high school compared to our 100% once they're in our Leadership Academy. Now, I read your backstory and I was very, very impressed by what I saw. And at one point you were one of these teen boys. You know, you were at-risk youth. You are a city council member, which is amazing. Tell us about your journey from, you know, being homeless at 16 years old to now being a leader in a very important city. I felt hopeless until, you know, some very influential people came into my life and they showed me that, you know, I'm not my circumstance. So for me, um, it started in college. I just felt like there was a lot of things happening at my university and I really didn't have a say in it. So I, I ran for the board of trustees of my university and I won that election. And from there, that's what kind of sparked my interest in this um, realm of politics because people are out there making choices for my life, for your life. And too many people of color have no idea about what's going on behind the scenes or no idea what's happening in these rooms where these decision makers are. And I wanted to be somebody who, you know, got a seat at that table and spoke for those who, you know, really didn't have a voice in that space. So what's next? So um, I'm at, this <laughs> Mayor? is actually- Mayor, congressperson, That's Senate. That's what's crazy. This is actually my <laughs> official announcement that I will be running for mayor for the city of Beverly Wonderful. in Breaking 2023. <laughs> so, you know, this is the first time, you know, I've, I've openly said that, so. That's yeah, that's awesome. what's next, um, running for mayor and expansion to my mentoring program. Ricardo, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Revolt Black News. And obviously, we wish you the best of luck in your mayoral run. Definitely. Thank you. Ricardo's story is so incredible, and to hear him share that story is really inspirational, right? It sure is, Rochelle. Well, that does it for us. Remember to keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Till next time, peace. needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.